Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. I'd like you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 again, and I'd uh, want to read the two passages of Scripture that we've got up the top of our notes tonight. Before we comment, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verses 13 through to uh, 18, and then we'll go over to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 to 58. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, for I, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, and we looked at that very much uh, Oh, last week? No, the week before, wasn't it? And uh, the uh, various things that Paul tried to enlighten the ignorance of, a, a favourite expression of Paul, I would not have you to be ignorant. And we looked at ignorance concerning the gifts of the Spirit, ignorance concerning Israel's experiences, ignorance concerning uh, the uh, blindness that's happened to the nation of Israel, and ignorance concerning the days of the Lord, and uh, here ignorance concerning those that are asleep. And we said that the only thing that can enlighten our ignorance is the Word of God. So I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we all believe that, can we say amen? Even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you, and notice Paul's expression here in contrast to a lot of his writings, but here he says, we say this unto you by the word of the Lord. Not by the word of Paul, but by the word of the Lord. This is a very clear, distinctive revelation given to Paul that everybody's not going to die. So this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not proceed or prevent or hinder them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Uh, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort, exhort one another with these words. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> And uh, we'll pick up in verses 51 uh, through to 57, or 58 we've got. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all die, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality then, and not until then, when then, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. So until sin is removed and eradicated from us, we still have that sting in us. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God, 
which giveth us the victory. O grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through the one that was raised from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brethren, uh, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, let's go to our notes here. As noted in previous lessons, there are two groupings of saints who experience the mighty power of God at Christ's second coming. And we've just read that. Now, uh, the two groups we've got here, as we mentioned on our previous note, notes, <coughs> pardon me, uh, pages 12, 11 and 12, uh, are the, first of all, the dead in Christ, and number two, the living in Christ. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain. So we have two companies of saints or two groupings of saints who experience the mighty power, and I say mighty power of God at Christ's second coming. The dead in Christ and the living in Christ. And in our last lesson, uh, we didn't complete the lesson, but at least I've given you the she uh, sheets, um, and I appreciate those who said the lesson helped them as, where are the dead? That when, when uh, we, uh, we die, if I die tonight, I would go straight to be in the presence of the Lord. My body would go to the undertaker, my spirit would go to the uptaker. So since the cross, I believe the scripture teaches us that all saints, all true believers in Christ, go straight to be in the presence of the Lord with Jesus and with the spirits of just men made perfect. Can you say amen? And that when he refers to a sleep, uh, he's referring not to soul sleep, contrary to the uh, several churches who teach soul sleep, but he's referring to the sleep of the body. And uh, the resurrection is awakening. And so the sleep is not soul sleep, but uh, referring to the, the body, and that we the dead in Christ, the souls under the altar, very active, not asleep. And I gave you a lot of scriptures there on that page uh, showing what happens to a believer's spirit when his body dies and is laid in the grave. All right, so the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and then the living in Christ are going to be changed. Okay, three words I want you to put on your notes there. Uh, number one, and this is what we'll be looking at tonight in a very exciting uh, portion of our study on eschatology. Number one, what happens to the saints at Christ's coming? Number one, the dead in Christ. These experience the resurrection. Now you have to listen carefully because what I'm taking tonight will be, you'll have to think a little bit, it won't hurt you, I promise you. These experience the resurrection power of Christ. The dead in Christ, what mighty power do they need to have? Resurrection power. Okay, so the dead in Christ, these experience the resurrection power of Christ. And as we read in Corinthians, corruption puts on incorruption. Now, number two, what type of power do the living need to live, uh, have the mighty power. What, what mighty power of God at Christ's second coming do the living need to experience? They don't need resurrection power. They need life-changing power. And so Paul says, the dead in Christ will rise first, resurrection. But we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, or what he says in, in the Corinthian passage, uh, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we the living shall be changed. So the living in Christ, these experience the life-changing power of Christ. And what is this evidenced by? Mortal puts on immortality. So for the dead, corruption puts on incorruption. For the living, mortal 
puts on immortality. And by the way, one of the definitions of mortality is mortal means death doomed. Every one of us tonight are mortal. How many are immortal? <laughs> no, we sing immortal, invisible, the only wise God. He alone has immortality. We are mortal. And one of the definitions of the word mortal is we are death doomed. Every one of us are death doomed tonight. So how many would like to have this mortal put on immortality? That's life changing. And over the other column there, so the dead in Christ ex uh, experience the resurrection power of Christ, the living in Christ, these experience the life-changing power of Christ when mortal puts on immortality. But both together experience, and here's the third word I want you to pick up, uh, both together experience the translating or translation power of Christ. So let's put the words together, resurrection, life-changing, translation, okay? So here's, here's what we've got in the two passages. The dead in Christ rise first. Resurrection power, mortal, no, corruption puts on incorruption. We which are alive and remain shall be changed. This mortal will put on immortality. So when the dead in Christ rise first, and we which are alive and changed, then together we shall be translated, caught up together to meet in the Lord in the air. So here's the mighty power of God in Christ at the second coming. Resurrection power, life-changing power for the dead and the living, and together translation power. I think that's mighty power of God, don't you? You're going to experience it one way or the other. Yeah. Hallelujah. Now, let's go to B here. <clears throat> resurrection and translation. In each age, God has manifested his resurrection and or translation power in order to illustrate to the end time saints what he will do at Christ's second coming. Now we'll put the regular diagram on here. Whatever your views may be on it, but at least it's the theory I hold. Okay. So we've got 2,000 years here, which we speak of as the dispensation of the Father. 2,000 years here, without locking me in on 2,000. Uh, dispensation of the Son, and 2,000 years dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And then um, at least I have 1,000 years rest coming up. Now, listen to the statement I've made here because we want to illustrate it here. In each age... So we have here the patriarchal age. Okay, the patriarchal, <laughs> patriarchal age. Then we have the law age. And just for simplicity here, we have the grace age. And here in the fullest sense of the word, I'm not excluding because the kingdom of God's everlasting kingdom. In the fullest sense of the word, relative to earth, we have kingdom age. Right, now, listen to the statement we're making there. In, a, in each age, God has manifested his resurrection and or translation power in order to illustrate to the end time saints what he will do at the second coming, at Christ's second coming. Now, I can't do this too exhaustively, it's just too much. But way back here, there was a man by the name of Enoch who experienced 
Now, what sort of power? Now, I've, put, I've given you three words here. Uh, resurrection power, life-changing power, translation power. What did Enoch, the seventh from Adam, experience? Uh, but something before that. That's right, Sister Connor, you are so smart. <laughs> you could be dangerous, okay? Yes, yeah, my wife's right again. He experienced, first of all, life-changing power because this mortal put on immortality. Then he experienced translation power. All right, now, if you want to put some scriptures under here, why don't you put Genesis chapter... Chapter 5, that's right. Just I had a memory blank then. Okay, Genesis chapter 5, verses 20 through to 24. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse uh, 5 and 6, or 6 particularly. And then Jude... Verses 14 and 15, and we have a whole character study on Enoch. Enoch walking with God. Now, so much could be said on that, but we're talking about resurrection translation power. So Enoch number seven from Adam. Six from Adam to Enoch. Six, one, two, three, four, five, six. But God picks out number seven man. It says, Enoch, you're number seven. And Enoch says, yes, yeah, so what? Big deal. And God says to Enoch, you could ask Enoch when you see him, if this, what I'm saying is true. Uh, God says to Enoch, you're number seven. And I want to demonstrate something in you, Enoch, that I'm going to demonstrate at the beginning of the seventh day, down here. And Enoch says, yeah, but everybody else is dying and price of land has gone up. <laughs> and so anyway, I better not say any more on that, what I'm thinking. Okay. So he experienced life-changing and translation power. This mortal put on immortality, number seven. Then we come to the law age, and there are two men that are particularly picked out here, and either it was an accident or God got something in mind. We have a, a man by the name of Moses, who God buried, but nobody could find his grave. Isn't amazing? Took him up, walked up to his own funeral, had a look out in the promised land and then uh, died and then God buried him but nobody could find his grave. But it's quite evident he had some power. Let's turn over to Jude 9. Somebody looking funny like a cow looking in the new gate there. Okay, go over to Jude 9. Just Now these uh, scriptures, by the way, uh, on your notes, uh, under number 5, we'll come to that in a moment. So Jude, verse 9, and uh, what a powerful verse this is, Jude 9, ver uh, Jude 9 verse 9. <laughs> Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the soul of Moses. He disputed about the spirit of Moses. No, he disputed about the body of Moses. Now, what an amazing message this is. Here's two archangels fighting it out. Michael the archangel always associated with resurrection. Michael the archangel of the resurrection and the devil the archangel of death. So here two archangels fighting over a body. So Michael the archangel of the resurrection and the devil the archangel of death. 
death and resurrection, and they are contending not over the spirit and soul of Moses, that's well looked after, but they're contending over the body of Moses. Why the body? Well, I believe that Moses was raised from the dead, and so, as you've got on your scripture there, he turns up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew, sorry, Matthew 17. And there appeared Moses. And Moses talked to Jesus about his death that he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Oh, and I can imagine Moses going through all the accounts of the Passover lamb, the sacrifice of the red heifer, entrance within the veil on the day of atonement, the scapegoat, the Lord's goat, and all going through all those, encouraging the Christ. As you've got to fulfill everything that you shadowed forth to me in the tabernacle back here. So the devil contended. So what power does Moses experience? Resurrection, everybody agreed? Okay, he, he experienced resurrection power. Now, what else did he experience? Translation power. Right, okay, so now notice it here, and I'm saying all this because of what I was say later on. Enoch experiences life-changing power, never died. But he experiences life, alive and remain changed, and translation power. But the dead in Christ shall rise first, Moses experienced resurrection power and translation power. Okay? Now, in the law age, in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established, we have a, another prophet by the name of Elijah. Now, what does Elijah experience? He experiences life-changing, because he never died either. And what else does he experience? Life-changing and translation power. All right, so now we've got Enoch and Elijah, two men who have gone to heaven without dying. And again, Elijah turns up in the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses represents the law, see? And Elijah represents the prophets because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, the law and the prophets were until John, since that time, the kingdom, the law and the prophets. So Moses and Elijah. So Enoch and Elijah link up together because they both experience life-changing and translation power. Moses, at the moment, stands alone. But we'll see what happens. All right, I have to skip some of these other things here. Now, the Lord Jesus, he dies and... When he's raised from the dead, what does he experience? Uh, yes, resurrection. What else? Life changing. What else? He experiences a lot. Now he experiences resurrection because his body's raised from the dead. Life changing. His body did not see corruption, but his body now becomes glorified and just walks through rooms, travels through space, it becomes his space suit. That's going to be the best space, space suit you'll ever have. Won't that be fun? Won't have to blow up these big space suits that the astronauts have. We'll be astronauts. I'm just telling the kids tonight, answering some of their questions. Talk about interplanetary travel. 
You don't think your concept of heaven is sitting on a cloud playing a guitar for all eternity. I mean, if that is what heaven is, that is dull. How many have got eternal life? Well, some of you haven't got eternal life. Why don't you come out and receive now? How many have got eternal life? That's better. Just check out, if, you know. That means we're going to live as long as God does. And what do you think God is going to do to amuse us for all eternity? So there's your cloud. Sit over there and play a guitar. Oh no. Saints, God's got some vast plan for us for all eternity that all that the devil could offer isn't worth spitting on. I have not seen and the ear hath not heard Neither has it entered in the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. But, didn't stop there, but God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. Why serve the devil? How stupid. If we could just show that to the sinner. All right, now, so Jesus experiences... Resurrection, life-changing, translation power. All right, now, that's significant. Enoch doesn't die, Elijah doesn't die, Moses dies, Jesus dies. So, Enoch and Elijah joined hands. Must have been fun when Elijah got there. Hi, hi Enoch, how you doing? Boy, how long you been up here? Mm, quite a long time. What you been doing? Ah, oh, sitting on the cloud playing a harp. <laughs> Why did God translate you? Oh, just for the sheer fun of it. Hmm. Haven't you got anything to do later on? Earth? Oh, yeah, but Kevin Connell will tell you. Okay. <laughs> I'd like to open up on some of these things, but you'd say I was such a heretic, you'd throw me out. So I just enjoyed in my own little mind. Okay, now Moses and Jesus link up. <laughs> so in the mouth of two or three witnesses now I don't know what you people believe here and really I don't care <laughs> no. um, you know different ideas about the tribulation and who's going to be the two witnesses and so forth let me just shock you on one little thing now some people say well some people don't even say nothing anything say oh well Enoch and Elijah are the two witnesses why? Well, it's appointed on a man once to die, and after death the judgment. They haven't died, so they've got to come back and die. Oh? All right, how many believe there's going to be a church alive to the coming of the Lord and never die? Well, it can't be because it's appointed on a man once to die. Or is something going to happen? Something's going to happen. It is happening. The clock is moving. Now, I want you to go down to... Uh, let's turn over... Okay, oh no, I've just got to finish this little picture here. So we've got Enoch in the patriarchal age, God demonstrated his power over death. The saint had ever died, he experienced a mortal put on, putting on immortality and translation power. What a witness. Moses and Elijah, they experienced something in the law age of resurrection and or translation, life-changing power. Jesus, the head of the body. Now, here in this age, as back here of course, we have all these people who are dead in Christ. The Bible says that Jesus Christ conquered death and brought 
life and immortality to life through the gospel. How many believe Jesus conquered death? Well, why are you dying? Because the last enemy... Okay, but it was conquered there, judicially, legally, but experientially. We haven't touched it yet. Okay, so we've got the dead in Christ, and then the second company, we've got the living in Christ. All right, now, when Jesus comes the second time here, somewhere here, okay, the dead in Christ rise first, they experience what Moses and Jesus experienced, and the living in Christ are changed, they experience what Enoch and Elijah experience. So there's going to be a, a company here, a church, that end time church. Now I, I haven't got faith to be in this, I've got a hope. I hope to be in that generation. There's going to be a whole bunch of people. Singular, 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 singular company. This is always God's way because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit Characteristic of the Father, singular. Characteristic of the Son, singular. Characteristic of the Holy Spirit, multiple one. Now let's go over to John 11. Are you still with me? Okay, John 11. Now this is a fantastic scripture that we quote and quote it so much, but we sort of miss the significance of it, I believe. And uh, we'll start filling in down here. All right, John chapter 11. And uh, verse 25, as we know the story, and we uh, touched on this on last time where Lazarus was sleeping, and Jesus said, I'm going to wake him, and the disciples misunderstood the sleep and said, well, if he's sleeping, he's doing well. Jesus said, he's dead. That's the sleep, the sleep of death I'm talking about. Now, when they get to the graveside of Lazarus, who is dead, Jesus said the most profound thing here, and I want you to follow this through with me. Uh, verse 25, Jesus said unto her, I am. Uh, Jesus has said in verse 23, thy brother shall rise again. Martha says, yeah, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection. In the last day I have faith in the resurrection. Jesus said, listen, I am. Not I will be, but I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead... Yet shall he live, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And believest thou this? And she said, the only sensible answer any of us could have given, Lord, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Now, I want you to notice here on your, on your scriptures, or on your page here, I've put three columns. On the first column, I've put the scriptures. And on the second, I've put the resurrection, the life. And here's what you've got to fill in. Christ proclaimed himself as, as both the resurrection and the life. Now, we just quote that, and we don't get the full significance. I'm the resurrection and the life, and we think they are one and the same thing. No, not quite. Now, let's just sort of help you here. You've got that picture on your notes or in your mind or somewhere. Okay, now let's see the full significance of what Jesus says when he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. So, he's the resurrection. Now, who is, who is he the resurrection to? I am the life. Who is the life to? We say, oh, resurrection life. No, I'm the resurrection and the life. Now, we have two companies of people here. Let's see how consistent it is, okay? Now, in John chapter 11, number one here, we'll have to move quickly here, number one. 
Uh, when Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life, who's he talking to? So number one, he, was the resu- see, he is the resurrection to the dead, but he is the life to the living. That's it. Let me say it again. He's the resurrection to the dead, but he's life to the living. Now look at it. Lazarus is dead. Thy brother shall rise again. Oh yeah, I know he'll rise again at the last day. And Jesus said, look, I am the resurrection now. So when Lazarus come forth, and he had to name him because down in the underworld, in the goodies, if Jesus had just said, come forth, everybody would have popped up. Because he said in chapter 5, the hour is coming and now is when those that are in the grave will hear the voice of the Son of God and those that hear shall live. So when Jesus spoke, he spoke into the spirit realm, into Hades, Sheol, I believe, and all these goodies are there, Lazarus and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Adam and all, uh, David and all those. So when will the Messiah come and get us out of this place? Get us out of Hell's Gate, ticky-ticky. When, you know, (laughs) New Zealand. And so he said, Lazarus! Come forth. And Lazarus just turned around. The guy said, bye, fellas. Be nice to know you. See you later. <laughs> and up from the grave he rose, bound hand and foot. Now Jesus was the resurrection to Lazarus because he that believeth in me, like Lazarus, though he were dead, yet shall he live. But Mary, Martha, He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. That can be the life to the living. You believe this? Yeah, I'm not sure I understand the significance of it. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Well, 1 Corinthians, we've uh, we've, we've read it, but let's pick it up. 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, uh, That's number 2. 1 Corinthians 15. Said before... I want you to notice the distinction in words. Verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will not all die. We shall all be changed. Now, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and what happens? Number two, the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Okay, so the dead are raised incorruptible. And we, who's we? The living shall be changed. Here's your filling on your notes here. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. So, who's the corruptible? The dead in Christ. Their bodies have corrupted in the grave. This corruption puts on incorruption and this mortal. Who's the mortal? The living. This mortal shall put on immortality. I am the resurrection to the dead but I'm the life to the living. Okay, I'll abbreviate that. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, and not till then, and I know we read this in faith over the grave when I take funerals, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is death written, death is swallowed up in victory. As long as Christians die, we have not got total victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And see, when sin is eradicated, death is eradicated. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
That means the last enemy to be gotten rid of is the sting of sin. Oh, it all happened at Calvary. I'm talking about experiential. Okay, now let's go to 2 Corinthians number 3 here quickly. 2 Corinthians 5. Paul saw something, and I know years ago, in what was referred to as the latter rain visitation, God gave us some insights on resurrection truth and that that we've just had to put on the shelf because we've got three new generations since then that don't know what we're talking about. All right, 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that if our house, earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, what's our earthly house of this tabernacle? We have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So we've got two houses. I've got this earthly house, this tabernacle that I look in. The goat's hair on the top is falling off and what have you. <laughs> For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so, that being clothed, we shall not be found naked or a disembodied spirit. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not that we want to be unclothed, not that we want to die, but clothed upon that, what? Listen to it. That mortality might be what? Swallowed up of what? Life. Oh, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the resurrection to the dead in Christ, but I'm the life to the living. The dead in Christ will rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be changed. And then so, so uh, much as Paul's seen this, in verse 5 he says, Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who hath also have given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. And see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues through this member of the body is just the earnest of the total redemption of the total body. That's why there's more in speaking in tongues than people realize. They just... All right, moving on. First Thessalonians chapter 4, which we've already read. First Thessalonians 4. Now all through we have these two groupings of saints, the dead in Christ that experience resurrection, and the living in Christ which experienced life changing and the resurrection to the dead and the life to the living. And together they experienced translation. So 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13 to 18, just quoting bits and pieces here. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Okay, dead in Christ. Rise first. I am the resurrection. You only need resurrection when there's death. So the dead in Christ rise first because I am the resurrection. He that believeth in me, believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, because I am the resurrection. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive are alive and remain. The alive and remain, what do they experience? They know Christ as the life. See, I am the resurrection to the dead, I am the life to the living. We which are alive and remain will know him through his life because mortality will be swallowed up of life, mortal will put on immortality, we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And then what Jesus is saying to Mary and Martha will really be true for that end time generation in the fullest sense. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. The dead in Christ shall rise first. But he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this? There's going to be a generation that will believe it in God's proper time. Okay, now number five. I've already given you this. Number five. Where would you put all these scriptures on Moses? Where would you put Moses? Over here. 
because Moses experienced the resurrection. And then number, oh, number six, where would you put Enoch? You'd put Enoch over here, wouldn't you? Because he knew him as the life. Now, let's look at a couple of these scriptures before we wrap up. Hebrews 9.27, everybody should know it. What does it say? It's appointed unto man, wants to die, and after death, the judgment. Let's go over to the book of Psalms. And where did Paul get this mystery from? And on what authority did he say, well, I'm going to show you a mystery. Something which is only known to the initiated. We're not all going to die. Yeah, but Paul, it's pointing out a man wants to die. Everybody's got to die. Oh, I've got a mystery. We're not all going to die. There's going to be someone alive to the coming of the Lord. Why? Because Psalm 102 and verse... Um, oh, wow, well, where do we go? Verse 18, we'll pick up. This shall be written for the generation to come and the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. For he hath looked down from the height of his sanctuary, from heaven did the Lord behold the earth. Listen. To hear the groaning of the prisoner. Did you know that you and I groan in this earthly body? We are prisoners. Come out. Listen to the next part. To loose those that are appointed to death. And if you have the marginal reference on King James, it says to loose the children of death. It is appointed unto man once to die, but do we believe that what was given to Paul, there's going to be a company of people that will be loosed from that appointment. Psalm 79, while you're in Psalms, and verse 11, very similar. Even back under the Old Testament, God is prophesying that he's going to break the appointment with death for some people. I hope to break the appointment, it's a hope. If not, I'll see you up there, on the way down and up. Verse 11, Psalm 79, verse 11, Let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee, according to the greatness of thy power. Preserve thou those that are appointed to die. Reserve the children of death. Now you read he Hosea 13, 14, Isaiah 25, 8, the scriptures are put there, and God prophesies that he's going to conquer death and swallow up death. When does he do it? He does it in the revelation, the coming of Christ and the rapture of this church. So the dead in Christ will rise first, and the living, alive and remain church will be caught up together with them. So he will be the resurrection to the dead in Christ, the life to the living, and then together we go up in translation, raptured, as those other scriptures teach. I hope this has helped us to appreciate that verse, that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Can you say amen? All right, our time is up. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org where you can access PDF downloads of all of Kevin Connor's books as well as his video training courses including the Key of Knowledge Seminar and Foundations of Christian Doctrine.